You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. Happy New Year! Can you believe it is 2021 already after the year we had last year? It's been uh, definitely a tough one and hopefully you have had a nice opportunity to take a break over the Christmas period, to relax, to recuperate, to spend time with family as much as you could do because I know here in Ireland the restrictions were quite strict over Christmas period. Um, But I did get an opportunity to relax and to spend time with close family as well. If you're anything like me, you are easing yourself back in gently into this new year. And I'm really taking stock of what happened in 2020 and putting a big focus on what it is that I want to achieve in 2021 and looking at what's realistic within that. Now, today's episode is with Shane Toomey, and we're talking all about distributed hybrid workforce. If you're wondering what that means, it really means bringing the job to the person. Given that most, but not everyone, is working from home, it's we talk about how to actually manage through that process as well. But we have a great discussion covering lots and lots of different topics. And as always, I will summarise what we speak about at the end. So enjoy today's episode. Welcome, Shane, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to chat with you this morning. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Good morning. My name is Shane Toomey from Organization Dynamics. I'm an organizational design and development consultant, and I specialize in helping organizations design how they set up their employees for success. Brilliant. And we've had many a conversation before, Shane, and you know, it's the kind of conversation that could go on for hours and hours and hours. And so what are we talking about today? Talking today about the whole world of what I call the distributed hybrid workforce, given the COVID changes that have affected pretty much everybody globally in the last seven months, we now have a workforce that is distributed around the world. And it's hybrid because now we have some people working in the offices, some people working completely from home, and some people are doing both. And it's all about how can organizations manage this distributed hybrid workforce. It's a whole new set of skills for managers. It's a whole new way of thinking for organizations. While COVID is with us, it's definitely going to continue. But from what I'm talking to other organizations, it's going to continue post-COVID. And it's made people realize that people can pretty much work anywhere. And instead of bringing the person to the job, you can now bring the job to the person. That's it. And I think, let's say pre-COVID, people... There's a lot of different issues and, you know, there might have been a slower transition towards this type of working. But suddenly overnight, everyone had to learn very quickly how to work from home, how to manage remotely, all of that kind of stuff. And so what kind of trends have you noticed just in the last, say, six or seven months? I think the the most important trend is is the fact is that organizations have realized that actually working from home is possible. Hmm. Um, And I think that's just something that organizations have struggled with uh, to decide how much flexibility to allow people. And you've had organizations that have had internal angst, you know, for years probably over, well, can we allow, what jobs can we allow to work from home and what jobs are critical and can't be done from home? And 
COVID transformed that. We all fell off the cliff in March at the same time. Yeah. And now we have a situation where we had to have everybody working from home. So, I mean, that's the biggest trend is the shift in realization as to what is possible. Now, it's not absolute because obviously not everybody was able to work from home. There was always going to be some jobs where people had to be, you know, at work. I mean, obviously the frontline workers are the critical ones. They had to be at work and it just wasn't possible for them. Retail, you know, the, in, the, in, in hospitals, in different healthcare situations and also people in manufacturing. So, you know, I mean, pharmaceutical companies are a classic example, you know, where they had a certain number of their cohort who actually had to be in work because they've got to be in the manufacturing facilities, whereas other parts of the workforce don't necessarily need to be in work. And then they're trying to design how do we manage all of that where the manager isn't on site, but the t his team are. And that's actually quite interesting instead of the manager being on site and the team at home. And so there's all these different dynamics that organizations are trying to struggle with. Yeah. And uh, like how, I suppose, what's, what's the best approach for dealing with that? So, you know, we find ourselves suddenly overnight back in March and we just have to, we just have to get on with it. What are the steps that people can take to, or what are the steps that people have taken to, to try and kind of look at that and then looking into the, the future as well? I don't think we're finally there where we actually know what's it going to look like completely. So mm. it's, still, it's still a moving target because in March, everybody went home that was able to go home. And then slowly over a number of months, the, when the number of cases were suppressed, organizations started looking and going, well, which can we, who can we bring back in? And the economy slightly opened up slightly and then the cases have gone up. So it's, it really is a moving target. And I don't think we're actually there where we can actually go, okay, this is what it's going to look like. But in terms of what I've seen so far, I, one of the things that I've said to my clients is manage your staff on their outcomes, not their inputs. Yeah, so don't yeah. worry about when they get the work done, but manage them on what, you, what they have achieved. So that allows for organizations that have done that, managers that have done that, that's taken away a huge burden of, well, I have to monitor what my, what my team are doing. And it's what I've said to people is, you know, you have to allow people wrap their work around their circumstances. So, if somebody gets up at six o'clock and does from six o'clock till nine o'clock and then does caring for whatever that caring looks like, whether it's, whether it's kids, whether it's teenagers, whether it's elderly parent or anything else, and they do that for a certain number of hours and then they come back to work and they do a number of hours in the late afternoon or the evening, does it really matter? Yeah. You know, yeah. if they need to make themselves available, then you can have that conversation. I need to make yourself available on a certain day at a certain time and that's fine. So that's, that's something that I think an awful lot of companies have, moved to yeah yeah no and I and I totally agree with this and I I speak about that quite a lot is this idea of um measuring outcomes rather than inputs so it's not looking at the amount of time it takes people to do stuff and and different people might take different amounts of time to to deliver the same types of results as well but I think this idea of the number of hours worked is so ingrained in us it's quite difficult to move away from that so if people are looking to move away from the idea of like, well, I did an eight hour day, didn't achieve much. I just looked busy um, yeah. versus I did uh, a four hour day and here's all of the things that I achieved and here's how they very specifically relate to what the organization is trying to achieve. Is there, do you have any kind of tips on how to shift that mindset from focusing on inputs versus outcomes? 
I think the starting point is to recognize first that you need to make that shift. And yeah. there are companies that have recognized that and then have gone, okay, well, if we've made that shift, what do we need to do about it? If you haven't made that shift, I think it's to start a conversation as to what are we trying to achieve here? Are we trying to achieve, go back to some form of scientific management, Fordian style of that we manage every little bit of, of work that people do and that we assess them against those pieces of work. But for most people, the economy has moved beyond that and it's a skills and knowledge-based economy. So you can't break it down into sub, little sub-pieces. So it's about having that conversation internally with the management team and saying, okay, well, what are we trying to achieve here and what's the best way? And if we are in this world of a distributed workforce, having that open conversation and saying, if this is what the future is going to look like, well, what do we need to do differently? And, and it's, it's that old saying is what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. So that if we want to do things differently, then we have to actually look at how we manage people and, and what are our ways of work. And, and ultimately, you know, it's, it's about recognizing that we're dealing with people here. We're not dealing with robots. We're not dealing with machines, you know, yeah. and, and that the more that we make people involved in these conversations, then the more likely that they're going to come back to us and the more likely to be retained because I'm happy to stay with this organization because they take care of me, because they recognize the circumstances that I'm in, because they're not trying to micromanage me, you know, and expect me to be on a screen for calls eight hours a day. I mean, this is one of the big challenges that we now have yeah. is that we've got this great technology and, and the I mean, the fascinating thing that I've been having conversations with people about is, is that we couldn't have done this 10 years ago. Because 10 years ago, we didn't have the technology to be able to do this, where, whether it's Zoom, Teams, Google Hangouts, whether, you know, Skype for Business, whatever it is. Those technologies were so immature 10 years ago. So if this had happened 10 years ago, we would really have struggled. Yeah. Organizations have been able to adapt massively because the technology has led them to adapt. But that doesn't mean that we should have the technology drive it. And this notion that people need to be on screens and on calls all the time, it's really, really bad. I mean, it's yeah. not good for yourself that if you're staring at a screen and eight hours a day. And I've had conversations with some of my, some of my clients and I've said, look, stop making, for example, your meetings an hour long. Make your meetings 45 minutes long and give people a break between the meetings. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. You know, you need to be able to walk away from the screen mm. for, a, for, for a short period. And even if there is a need for a back-to-back -back call, don't have person harried, going harried from one call to another call because it's not good for them. It's not good for their productivity. Yeah. It's not good for for their ability to to stay focused for the day. And mm. people are getting, as one client described to me, people are getting frayed at the edges. Yeah, yeah. I certainly noticed that. So yesterday I was on pretty much an all day conference as well yeah. as the day before. And that's the second time that that's happened where I've been on all day and I do notice a huge difference. Now they did give breaks in between to kind of step away. But I, I did notice a huge difference in being in front of the screen all day and very much aware now that I need to take some time away, whether that's getting out a, a notepad and pen to be able to do some thinking or some reading or some work. And that's away from an actual screen, I think it is really good. I just wanted to touch back on what you were saying about this, this idea of outcomes. And um, Andrew Barnes, who was previously on the podcast, I've seen him speak multiple times and the question he gets asked, so he he he's a huge advocate and he's um, an architect of this four-day week and he gets asked all the time, you know, but how do we measure productivity? 
And in asking that question, it just shows that you don't know currently how you're measuring productivity of your staff and you're measuring it in time at the moment, you know, yes, and it's, it's and I'm look, being productive just, because I've spent eight hours at work versus I'm being productive because here's the outcomes that I'm trying to achieve and I've achieved X, Y, and Z of those outcomes. And like I talked to my, some of my clients about this in terms of like the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, you know, and the reality on it is, is that in any day, probably only 20 to 30 percent of that day is productive anyway, mm. because if you consider the fact that when you arrive in, you know, you, you spend time saying hello to people, you, 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 there's times in which there's there's a coffee break or a lunch break or whatever it is, or there's a time where people are catching up and all the rest, you know, and, and whatever that is. So if you actually managed, mapped the productive time in those eight hours, it probably would only be two or three hours anyway. Mm. So this notion that time equates to productivity is such a false dichotomy. Yeah. It's a false equation. Mm. And I think we need to move past that measure. And I get it to a certain extent. It's, it's a lever that companies have, that managers have, that they can control something. And they're, well, I can control the number of hours that somebody's working. Therefore, I can control, their, control what they do. But it, the reality on it doesn't work. Yeah. Like a friend of mine years ago, when we, when we graduated, he moved to Japan. And I remember David telling me that in Japan, the culture is that you don't leave the office before the boss. Yeah. And so the boss would be sitting in his office doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. But all of the Japanese workers have to sit there and wait. And that could be six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. It's whatever hang up that boss had that day. And he decided that his control mechanism was, I'm going to make my team sit there. They're doing nothing, but they're sitting there. And it's such a control. David, because he was the foreigner, was he said, you know, he just would up and leave. And it's okay because he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. He was allowed to do it. But it was the most perverse thing that I've heard of. And it's this notion of, of a false sense of power and control. Mm. And real, real power comes from enabling your people to get on and do what they need to do. And then you as a manager getting out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think it's an insecurity on behalf of the manager that they feel that, okay, I don't, I'm not as competent as my team, but I have to show that I'm in charge. And I do that by micromanaging them. I mean, I heard one case recently of, of uh, somebody saying that I can't wait for all my staff to get back into the office so that I can check to see what they're doing. And I'm going, but they're working from home at the moment. Are they doing their work at home? <laughs> yes, I know, but it's not in front of me. And I'm not sure. You know, I'm going, well, that says more about you than mm. about them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's this this notion of like that what what determines what work I do. Yeah. And you know, I was another conversation I had recently with somebody about about turnover in organizations and everybody thinks that okay, this world you know, nobody's going to get a job. That's absolutely untrue. Mm, yeah. In any economy, your top one or two people will always be able to get a job somewhere else yeah. because they're your top one or two people. Yeah. And if they leave, then you're left with the person who you rated as your third and fourth best performers as now your best performers in the organization. Yeah. So, and who leaves at a time like this? They leave, the, the, the best people leave. Mm. The best, the people who aren't your best people stay because they know they can't get another job somewhere else. So they're going yeah. to stay. Yeah. So what are you doing to make sure that you're providing an environment that everybody can thrive and everybody can work to the best of their ability? Because if you're doing it by micromanaging people working from home, mm. you're missing a trick. And people yeah. will see that through, and they will only put up with it for so long. 
And then they'll look around and they're going, well, I can go somewhere else and I can be treated better. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen, you know, uh, quite a few cases of that where employees just have been treated really poorly since the beginning of this pandemic. And if they don't look for a job immediately, they're definitely going to look for one when things pick up, you know, to, yeah, to, to use a better absolutely. word or to use a kind of a flippant word when things because uh, it's not things are never going to go back to normal, but they certainly will look for something else because they haven't been treated well at this time. No, and it's it's about recognizing the fact that you have to do things differently. And if you're trying to manage your employees in this hybrid workforce the same way that you manage them when they were in the office or wherever mm. that was, yeah, you know, you're missing a trip. And it's about what I call about being deliberate about it. You have to be deliberate about this. I mean, one of my favorite words is being deliberate mm. because things don't happen unless you're deliberate about them. Things will happen naturally anyway, but they won't necessarily be the ones that you want to happen. So if you want to have the outcome that you want, you have to be deliberate about it. And what yeah. it's about is looking and going, okay, well, what are the different dynamics that take place? Yeah. And then what do I need to do about those dynamics? So I talk about three different dynamics in a workforce. I talk about the social dynamics, I talk about the power and influence dynamics, and I talk about the creative dynamics. Uh, for example, the social dynamics, we are a tribal people. You know, we like to congregate with people who are like us, who are similar to us, who we can connect to. And when you have people working in a distributed workforce, those social dynamics loosen. Mm. And having everybody on a team call or having them on a huddle or a virtual huddle or having some sort of town hall, it replaces it to an extent, but it doesn't replace it completely. Mm. And I, I read something really strange that, you know, this working from home suits introverts and it doesn't suit extroverts. And I'm going, well, no, that's just a misunderstanding of what introverts are. Mm. Introverts are people who get, their, who get their energy from a very small group of close-knit friends. And they like that small group. Whereas an extrovert like me, we have a wider group of friends. So it's not about, introverts aren't people who can't get on. They just mm. get on with a small group of friends and that they engage with those friends. So the introverts are as affected because they can't connect with their small group of friends. They're probably more affected because they rely on a small group of people to get their energy and get their, get their strength from. So in the social dynamic, what are you doing about that social dynamic? Yeah. Yeah. And this and then, is something that, that came up on the, the call yesterday about what what can we do? Because maybe one of the key things that has changed in, you know, in being remote is that you and so many people talk about this, that you lose the water cooler chat. You use the informal chat that kind of t slightly ties in with work and maybe a, a passing remark. And then it's like, oh, well, maybe we could do X, Y, Z. And that's where the ideas come from and the creativity, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about later. But any thoughts on, on that and how, because I think companies maybe don't know how to recapture that in this current climate. And I don't think there is an absolute answer to that question, but there are things that you can do. And the starting point is to recognize that you need to do something. Yeah. And then, then after that is to look at little experiments to see what works and try something. So, for example, if you can get people for a short period of time into the office in a safe way, well, why don't you do that? Okay. And obviously, this depends on people's tolerance for risk and all the rest. But to do it as an experiment with one group of people. Another thing that I've 
done with one of my clients is what we've done is we've looked at the locality of where people live. Yeah. And then we've suggested, okay, you are all within a one kilometer radius of each other. So why don't you during working hours and do this during working hours? Why don't you go and meet up with this group of people for a cup of coffee on the work time and on the work dime? Yeah. Now, that doesn't work for everybody, and it doesn't work if where people are living out in the countryside and all the rest. So there's no one answer that's mm. going to solve this. You know, but you have, to be, you have to be imaginative about it. And you have to be imaginative in the way and say that you're not trying to do an absolute recreation of what happened in the work from how it happened. What you're trying to recreate is those moments. You know, and... You know, as much and all as I give out about being on screens, some of it may be on screen. So random coffee generator. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and but it has to be done in such a way that it's not forced. I call it structured, unstructured. Mm. You have to have an element of structure to it to make it happen. But you have to allow it to be unstructured so that you get those little aha moments. Because if you're not getting the aha moments out of it, you know, as you said, that's where creativity comes from. Creativity doesn't come from, um, from you know, a formal structure. Some yeah, of yeah. it does. Sitting down, I'm does. trying to be creative right now and sitting down. Yeah, that's not where. I loved the story. I don't know. Do you know the story of the Pixar building? I do. I think, I'm trying to think, did you tell me about this before or did I see it somewhere else? But tell it again, absolutely. So, so when, when Pixar, Pixar had become this massive company a number of years ago and there but there were they were all in these different campuses and Steve Jobs wanted to be them all to be in the one place so they designed and built this massive building but to get from anywhere in the building to another place you had to go through the atrium so if you want to go to a meeting room you had to go to the atrium if you want to go to the canteen you had to go to the atrium if you want to go to the toilet you had to go to the atrium and John Lasseter who was the CEO really didn't understand this until the building opened and he started bumping into people who he had worked with in the early days of Pixar, but he hadn't seen for years because they were over in some creative department <laughs> in some other building. Yeah. And Steve Jobs understood that it is those little interactions that you have with people is where the creativity happens, where somebody says, you know, I have a great story about a fish. And somebody else says, well, wow, I had a story. I had a great idea about, about somebody who gets kidnapped. And you put those two stories together and you get Finding Nemo. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's where this happens. You know, it happens in the ad hoc moments, you know. And I mean, it, there's a, there's, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Stephen Johnson. He writes, it's written where good ideas come from, you know? And what he says is that chance favors the connected mind and that small hunches collide with other hunches. They hibernate and they incubate and they eventually become something new. So how do you create those collisions? Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it comes to the bit that I was talking about, about the creative dynamics. So the social dynamics of how we interact influence the creative dynamics of how things happen and where new things come from. And it's hard to do in this world, but what that's why I'm saying you have to be deliberate about it. Yeah, yeah. Use the technology so, that we have, but not only rely on the technology and say, okay, how can we work outside of the technology? And yeah. none of this is easy, you know, but... It's what we're paid for. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's what her job is. You know, like as one of one, I always say to managers, I say, "What part of manage did you miss in the term manager, the title manager?" Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. You, you have to manage the situation. It's a new situation, so we have to manage the new situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, so of the like social dynamics, power and influence, creative dynamics, 
would you say, is there one of those that's impacted more so than the other? It's like, in my mind, the, the thing that springs to mind is maybe the social dynamics were pretty much obliterated overnight. I think the social dynamics underpins the other two. Okay. So like in the power and influence dynamics, for example, it is, is how we influence people and how I can influence the organization. Yeah. So if I'm out of sight, I'm out of mind. Whereas if I'm there, I can interact with other people and then I can influence them. So yeah. it's another thing I say to, say to my organizations is how do you make sure that the person who is permanently working from home doesn't miss opportunities because they're not seen? Yeah. yeah. And how am I seen? I'm seen because I'm socializing with people. Yeah. A great story I heard years ago was a friend of mine tells the story. He was a HR director in an insurance company. There was a new CEO who was there a couple of months. And at the end of one management meeting, there was a side conversation going on about a promotion. And the CEO piped up and says, well, what about Joe from the post room? And I go, God, that's a great idea. We'd have never thought of Joe. And then the HR director says, how does the CEO know Joe? And they realized that the CEO smoked, Joe smoked. And they had would go outside the building to have a cigarette because obviously you can't smoke in buildings anymore. But when the, CEO, when the HR director scratched a little surf, under the surface a little bit, he discovered that smoking had gone up in the company significantly since the CEO had arrived because people had understood that the way to meet the CEO was to go and have a cigarette yeah. because that's who the CEO was. So if you yeah. don't normally have that ability yeah. to bump into the CEO, go and have a cigarette. So that, that's your social dynamics and that's your influence dynamics just there. Yeah, yeah. It makes total sense. And this idea of being seen and I think in pre-COVID, it was all, you know... It, that was one of the challenges was that the people who work remotely weren't as seen and maybe tended to be forgotten about. Whereas now everyone's working remotely. Hopefully it's a bit more of a level playing field and, and people get seen. And with the way that, and let's use Zoom as the example, because I know a lot of people are using Zoom. Um, but the way the, the layout is on Zoom, you can see pretty much everyone, well, up to 25 people, at a time where it's, if you were in a room with 25 people, you wouldn't be able to see all of their faces all at the same time. That holds true to a point, mm. okay? So it holds true to a point that, yes, there's an equality of the screen, yeah. okay, and the equality of screen time. But where it doesn't hold true is there are some people who are now back in work. Yeah. Okay? And there's some people who are, who are coming in and out of work. So that they're not there the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think there is... So when you have 25 people on a screen, I'm only seeing a passport size part of you. I'm yeah. not getting your whole body language. I'm not getting the whole interaction with you. And I think that's <laughs> part of... That is face-to-face. -face. So yeah. much of our cues come from body language. Mm. You know, So tone of voice, how we sit... Am I sitting rigid? Am I relaxed? Yeah. And there's a, when the, on a large call, there's a limited amount that you can get by that. Even on a one-to-one -one basis like we are here now, it's not the same thing as if the two of us were sitting in the same room having that conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it yeah. does to a point, but only to a point. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, well, the other challenge as well is making sure that everyone has a voice, that everyone gets involved in the meeting, that they all share their ideas. And, and it's, it's been that point about being deliberate, that that's where you have to be deliberate about things. Yeah. Is there somebody missing out? 
you know? Is there somebody, and it's the introvert, extrovert, for example, like an, an introvert in a, in a conversation will only contribute something if they feel they have something to contribute, whereas an extrovert will contribute whether they have something to contribute or not. And I'm talking about the extrovert because that's what yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. But it's the same thing in this environment is, yeah. is looking to see well, who has contributed and who hasn't and being yeah. deliberate about that. And that's why it's a whole new set of skills that you have to do. And you have yeah. to, as a manager, you have to say, okay, I have to check myself and say, who am I including and who am I not including? Yeah, yeah. And this, I suppose this idea of power and influence and, and going back to what you said earlier about managers wanting this sense of control, what does, what does power and influence really mean when you kind of drill down into it? Moving away from this idea of, of being the person who's in control and having power and the, idea, the, um, the example that you used from Japan as well of exerting that power in a specific way. What, what does power and influence mean to you? Power and influence to me is linked to outcomes. And yeah. if I link it to outcomes, then it's about how can, what's the best way of getting those outcomes and unlearning my previous thoughts about how I got those outcomes. Because if my team are now all remote, if we just take a situation where my whole team is remote, so how do I influence everybody on an individual basis and how do I influence them now as a remote team? And so I've, I've got to start thinking about it from a different skill set because they are no longer with me. And I can't, I, I can't just call them all in randomly and say, look, something's come up. Let's all just go into the meeting room for half an hour and talk about it. I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. So I have to think about things differently. I have to think about influence differently. And mm. power and influence to me are, are, are different elements of the same thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. I exert power. How do I exert power? I exert power because I'm sitting in my office and you can't go home until I go home. That's exerting power. <laughs> yeah. But I can, exert inf I can exert power through influence, that I can influence you so that you can give the best of who you are to yeah. get the outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's that balance of knowing, well, what form of power am I exerting? And I think influencing people is a skill set that people are going to have to learn to use far more. It's far more subtle it's far more nebulous. Mm. But in terms of if I'm looking at it from a point of view of achieving outcomes, it's the skill set that I think most people are going to need to develop and develop it as a bench strength across the organization. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about when I work with my clients is what are the organizational capabilities that you need? Not the capabilities for roles, because that's a different thing. Yeah. But we an organizational capability if we're going to be successful. So that could be we need influence as an organizational capability. So when we hire, we hire for people who've got good influencing skills. Mm. If, we, if we promote people, we promote people on the basis that they're good influencers. Yes, yeah. If we reward people, we reward people because they're, exert, they're able to exert influence. And that changes your complete dynamic. If you decide that this is an organizational capability, then you build it into everything. Yeah, it could yeah. be problem solving. It could be decision making. It could be communication. It doesn't matter. But this is such an important thing for our success. Yeah. We need it as an organizational capability. Every role at every level needs it to a different degree, yeah. but everybody needs it. Yeah. So you hire for it and then you recognize people for it. Others in the team see what gets recognized and rewarded and builds up their own level of skill in that area. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my pet phrases is it's not what gets measured gets done. It's what gets rewarded gets done. Yeah. And rewarded in the broadest sense of the word. 
Am I going to get promoted? Am I going to get development from it? Am I going to get the bonus? But also, am I going to get the praise or the feedback? You know? Yeah. So if I'm getting praise for for doing something and everybody else sees that this is something that constantly the organization is recognizing, mm. people will follow that path. But one of the challenges that organizations have is they, they say they want something, but they recognize the opposite. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I, I want innovation, but I only recognize people who are risk averse. <laughs> yeah. And now you have a friction and you have a tension. Mm. And it doesn't matter what you say, but if you're still, if you're only um, recognizing people who are risk averse, then you're not going to get innovation because innovation comes with risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, it, in the past, I've seen people be recognized for sales, for like, you know, bottom line, they brought in the money, but they're actually quite poor with people. Whereas the company at a top line level is saying, oh, we're very people focused and this and that. And it's like, well, <clears throat> those two things don't match. Excuse me, those two things don't match each other. And there's an incongruence in, you know, in, in the values that in, in what's actually being said versus the behavior that is happening in the organization. And what organizations don't realize when they do that is that the productivity of one or two people is recognized, but you're suppressing the productivity of everybody else. Yeah. Suppressing their willingness to engage. You're, you're suppressing their discretionary performance. I will do what I am tasked with doing and I will do no more because why would I do any more? Because I, because so-and-so, you know, who's the complete put in whatever expletive that you want here <laughs> is the guy who gets the bonuses and all the rest. And, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's, and that's where, you know, we've talked about data beforehand and that's where organizations really need to understand and get below the surface and get the data and going, okay, well, what is the data telling me about things? You know, mm. so I might have, a sales guy who's a top, top performer and is responsible for a massive amount of my sales. But what does that mean in terms of customer retention? What's that mean in terms of, in terms of employee engagement? What does that mean in terms of long-term performance for the business? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's one of those things that we have a problem with in, in the Western world, especially where we're um, in terms of companies that are on the stock market. You're driven by this quarter. Yeah, and exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. such a short term view. So everybody is incentivized to do things that will look successful for this quarter. Mm. But what about the long term? And mm. I can be successful in this quarter. And out the door goes everything like creativity and innovation and what's going to happen next. I won't invest in the long term because I need to invest to get this quarter's sales up. So it looks good for the stock market, et cetera, mm. et cetera. And, and all of this feeds back to where we started from, you know, I mean, about being happy at work. Mm. I mean, there's a fundamental belief system that I have, and I know you have, is that people who are happy at work are more engaged and people who are more engaged are more willing to give back to the organization. Yeah. yeah. And this is, not, this is not fancy HR stuff. This is stuff that has been investigated and this is stuff that has got, you know, lots of research behind mm. Yeah. And that there is there, there is an absolute, you know, clear line of sight between engagement and highly engaged people who feel happy and feel cared for and feel trusted by their organizations and outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 100 percent agree. <laughs> um, 
one thing that you mentioned there was around, you know, and different people will have different things. So it's whether you get rewarded or recognized or you get that feedback that ties in quite strongly with this idea of need satisfaction at work, which I think is really crucial because we're driven by our needs mm. essentially. So what are your needs? And, and as a manager or as a leader, are you addressing the needs of your employees? Do you know what their needs are? Do they need to be recognized? Do they need to be rewarded? Do they need to get bonuses? Do they need to just have positive feedback and affirmation saying that they're doing a good job? So really understanding that I think is, is important. I think so. And it comes back to this whole point about being deliberate. Yeah. You have to look at this and you have to be deliberate about it and going, okay, so what does this individual need and what does another individual need? I had a really interesting conversation with, with manager, one of my clients, and she has no problem working from home and she has no problem in being in that environment and being productive. But what she, the trick that she was missing was her team was not the same as her. Yeah. So yeah, she okay. looking at the team. She was going like, you know, I'm fine. So therefore it's okay for me to manage my team in this environment. And and I'm going, but that's not necessarily the case. Have you asked the question as to how fine they are working in this way? Mm. And when you scratch below the surface, they there was different degrees of it, but there was definitely somebody who was really, really struggling. Okay. And but was putting on the brave face for the manager. Now, that's not long-term good for the manager, the employee, or the organization. No. And it's about that needs, and it's about understanding needs, and that one size doesn't fit all. And just because I'm okay doesn't mean that everybody else is okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and creating that environment, just when you're saying, like, if someone doesn't feel like it's safe to talk about how they're getting on with their manager, and this has certainly happened with me with some of my clients where they're saying that they, they don't, they don't want to tell their manager that they're not coping very well because that's going to reflect poorly on them and they'll think, oh, they can't cope with the workload or they can't cope with this um, terrible, you know, global pandemic that's happening. But actually it's, it's okay. Like you need to create that environment where people feel safe. So that psychologically safe environment where people feel that it's okay to say, I'm actually not coping at the moment. I feel really overwhelmed. I have so much to do. And people need help through that. We're really at a tipping point in terms of the understanding of mental well-being mm. and, as you said, psychological safety. And I really think that this is going to be a massive shift over the next number of years. There are conversations around this that I'm having that we never had with people beforehand, you know, yeah. with management organizations about the need to create that psychological safety, that need for mental well-being to be taken into consideration that we're not talking about things in terms of mental disabilities anymore, you know, mm. which I think is a terrible thing, you know, that this is just part of what normal life is, that some people have it, have it to a greater or lesser extent, but we're all affected by all of this, you mm. know, and how do we create an environment where people feel safe, that they can talk about it, that it's not going to be held against them? You know, if I break my leg, it's very obvious that I've broken a leg and everybody looks at me and goes, you know, how are you? And take the time that you need. Yeah, but if there's a mental impact upon me, it's unseen. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge that organizations are starting to grapple with. Mm -hmm. That this is something that is as impactful, if not more impactful than the physical side. And that the two of them, obviously, we know the two of them are linked. We know that if I'm mentally you know, down, it's going to affect my physical. And if I'm physically down, it's going to affect my mental well-being. Yeah. yeah. 
But because the mental side of it is unseen, it, for years it's been easier to go man up, you know. Yeah, yeah. All this macho, again, in, insert expletive here. <laughs> yeah, um, interesting. That That's something that came up quite a bit on the session yesterday. And one of the senior HR leaders that was speaking about it said that the way she addressed it, what someone asked her, how are you coping? And she said, actually, I'm not coping. And by her saying that and saying it openly, it allowed other people to say that as well. So it's about being your authentic self and being showing that level of vulnerability. No, I'm actually not coping with this at the moment. And it, it gets it on the table and it allows other people to speak up as well. Yeah, I've been working with the leadership team and they they weren't a team and they're still not a team. But I knew that we'd started to make progress when at the end of a call, when you asked around how people were, they all were able to actually be honest with how they were. Yeah. Because that meant that they felt comfortable in telling their colleagues and their boss and somebody who's not in the organization, do you know what? I'm actually not doing great at the moment. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's a breakthrough. Yeah, absolutely. So Shane, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? What makes me happy at work is where I really feel challenged and respected. They're the two things where I really get that opportunity to bring the best of myself and that I get that opportunity that people say, yes, this is, this is who Shane is and we take Shane for what he is. Yeah, yeah. And so that's really what makes me happy at work. I, I've worked for myself for 15 years and I really didn't know whether, you know, I would be able to survive in working for myself. But what I've realized is if I get into an organization where I get that proper challenge and I get that respect, then it doesn't matter to me, you know, whether it's I'm working with a small company with 10 people in it or I'm working with a multinational with 10,000 in it. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? Best way is to go on the website, which is organizationdynamics.ie, and they'll find contact points there. Um, obviously, I'm on Twitter at orgdynamicsirl, and listening to the podcast and following up through the podcast. Brilliant. And I'll put all of those details in the show notes as well for people to, um, to follow up with you. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. Really, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. That was Shane Toomey from Organisation Dynamics. And I will do a quick recap on the main points that we covered. Now, we started out by talking about the distributed hybrid workforce, which essentially means bringing the job to the person. So not everyone is back in the office. Most people, in fact, are still working from home, but there are still some people who are working in offices. Managers then need to be able to manage across those different dynamics within the organization. And um, well, we have shown that working from home is actually possible. And in a lot of cases, productivity is actually increased. We spoke very much around managing on outcomes and not inputs. And this is something I've spoken about on the podcast several times. I'm a huge, huge believer in it. And 
Shane spoke about the steps in order to make that happen is first of all, recognizing that you need to make that shift. You need to make the shift towards focusing on outcomes rather than time. So it's not about saying that you worked for X number of hours in a week. It's about saying, being really, really clear about what the vision of the organization is, what are the objectives. And now is the perfect time to realign that vision with what you're trying to achieve in 2021 and beyond 2021 as well. And um, another one of the topics we, another one of the areas we spoke about was this idea of focusing solely on quarters and quarter by quarter with the neglect of focusing on the longer term. So, yeah, so initially recognizing that it is that you need to make that shift. So being really clear about the vision and how people can work together to achieve that vision. And then being really clear about what is it that you're trying to achieve? So what does that vision actually look like? What are the goals that you're striving for in the organization? What does that look like at the collective level? And then what does that look like at the individual level as well? Several times Shane spoke about this idea of being deliberate. So being really, really deliberate, I would probably translate that for myself as being intentional. So setting really clear intentions as to what you would like to achieve. We spoke about the importance of having that understanding within an organization, and that's something that drives retention. So understanding that the circumstances are not ideal at the moment, and that will facilitate retention within organizations. The three key areas then that Shane mentioned specifically were around this idea of social dynamics, power and influence and creative dynamics. And social dynamics really underpins the other two as well. We spoke about how social dynamics really was the one that probably had has had the biggest impact. But given that that is underpinning the other two, it's really, really important to get it right. We spoke about the fact that we have lost these water cooler moments. So people aren't just having random chats anymore. And in fact, on a call I was on the other day, we spoke about you know, it's it seems a bit formal to invite someone if you just want to run an idea past someone or if you just want someone to check something over. It seems very formal to request a Zoom meeting or something like that, whereas previously you might just walk over and have a chat with someone and ask them to look at something. But now it seems that it is quite formal. So how do we bring that back? And a couple of the things that Shane had mentioned was just to try something. So come up with an idea and try it out. Um, another idea he had was around this random coffee generator and we, he referred to it as the structured unstructured so it's trying to give a bit more structure given that we are in the situation that we're in everything is uh, gone virtual everything is online these days but it's trying to give a bit of structure to that unstructured type of meetings that we used to have when everyone was back in the office in relation to power and influence then we did speak about how managers would you know, they like to have this sense of control and like having people in the office. And oftentimes they get in the way of people being able to do their best work. And that comes from this sense of insecurity. They don't have that sense of power that they used to have. And that results in, in micromanagement as well, being able to micromanage people. It ties in very much with this idea of being linked to outcomes as well and unlearning the way things used to be. Given that a lot of things used to be around how much time, you know, we're not machines, we're human beings. So it's linking it back to what is it that we're trying to achieve here? 
Shane spoke about organisational capability then as well. So not focusing on individual roles, but building an organisation that has people who are capable of whatever it is that you define. Some of the examples he gave were around communication. Another one was around selling. We spoke about how what gets rewarded gets done. So it's moving away from this idea of what gets measured gets done. It's what gets rewarded. And what other people see as being recognised within the organisation and whatever that level of recognition and reward means to you, is that a promotion that you're looking for? Is it the praise? Is it the recognition? When things that don't align with our values or don't align with the capabilities that we're trying to achieve within the organisation, when those things get rewarded, that actually suppresses the productivity of everyone else. So people see that on the one hand you're saying that these skills are important or these capabilities are important for the organization but on the other hand you're rewarding something that does not align with what you're talking about. Part of the power and influence then as well especially in the day and age of Zoom is making sure that everyone has a say so as a manager being really curious about who has contributed versus who has not contributed and being very deliberate about who you are including and who you, who has not been included. The creative element finally ties in very strongly with the social element. And given that we don't have those, those informal social interactions, we have to be really deliberate about it. So how can we strengthen those social bonds so that we can drive that sense of innovation within the organisation in this very kind of structured environment so how can we be be a bit more deliberate in order to drive innovation within the organization as always i would love to hear your thoughts on the topic that we discussed today i'd love to get your feedback on it so keep the emails coming get involved in the conversation on social media whether that is on twitter happier at work hq whether it's on linkedin Aoife o'brien or or just send me a private message. I always love hearing about the difference that the podcast is making to people's working lives. So definitely keep that feedback coming. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie. 